You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show on 710-KURV. Here's Sergio. Tough times for military recruiters, I understand. Van Hip is a former deputy assistant secretary of the Army. There's so many things that work against recruiters the past couple of years, man. I'm thinking, you know, the COVID shutdown, no face-to-face meetings, a change in in political culture in D.C. and overall culture in America, all this wokeism and changing culture and the leadership of the Pentagon as well. How bad is the problem when it comes to recruitment? Do you know, Van? It's a bad problem, and and it's I mean, it's, and it, and you point out it's a, it's it's like a perfect storm. It's a it is a variety of factors, but he, here is the real problem I think in a nutshell: that recruiting pool of of the eighteen to twenty four year olds that we want to recruit from, only twenty five percent are even eligible to join the military if they want to, hmm. because they either they can't pass the physical fitness test or the mental aptitude test. And of that twenty five percent, only nine percent say they would even consider joining the military. So that's the problem, and that's what's facing our recruiters right now. And then you get to all those other factors that you talk about. How many recruits do we need to bring in through the door, I don't know, annually or monthly, in order to keep up with, you know, retirement and everything else that's taking place? Yeah, it's well, this year we are we have only met 40% of the recruiting goal that we needed. For this uh, for our army, um, and the fiscal year ends the end of September. Mm-hmm. They announced last week that well, we're just going to now 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 just uh, reduce the number uh, of, of that that we have in the military because we can't we, we can't meet it. So it's 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 going to get worse and worse. Um, you've got probably a for, force of probably four hundred ninety thousand. They're saying now this continues. We may be down to only four hundred fifty uh, by twenty twenty three. So this is a this is a serious problem. Uh, we've got to think outside the box, and we got to get back to 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 what the American military is about. It's not it's not for social engineering; it's to win America's wars, and 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 we need to get back to the basic purpose of the military. And I got to tell you, I think our educational system has failed us. And we're not teaching American history and civics in our schools yeah, for the like longest time. To. For the longest time, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Reagan was right; freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction, yeah. and. Uh, I don't think our young people have that appreciation for what our forefathers went through to give us the freedoms we have today. Understood, yeah. Van Hip is chairman of the American Defense International, was part of Desert Storm a couple of decades plus, helped to mobilize reservists. Van, which begs the question, when you told me that our ranks are shrinking in the military, we might be at, you know, from 490,000 down to 450,000, is that active duty military four branches or is that the number plus all the reserves that we have in various states no that's just the army so that doesn't count our reserve force i mean army reserves and army national guard and of course our other reserves and the other services are experiencing similar problems not quite as bad as the army but we've got to think outside the box so um I, when i when i talk about education the woodrow wilson foundation does a study of forty thousand americans they gave them the basic citizenship test the people take to be a citizen to, to come to this country. Only one state had 50% of its people who could even pass it. So that's what I'm talking about. Education is a national security issue. and uh, uh, But also, let's be creative. China is kicking our butt 24-7 on cyber warfare and cyber security now. We need cyber security experts in the military, but we need them in our civilian workforce as well. Why not have scholarships and incentive 
bonuses for kids who want to go into cybersecurity. Yeah. They can come to the military, learn those cyber skills, and when, they, when they're done with the military, they can transition to the civilian workforce. Yeah. That's the kind of outside-the-box thinking we need, I think. And strengthen our market. Yeah, strengthen our, our, our cyber muscle uh, as, as a country to to produce, uh, create more product, uh, all this ingenuity. Van Hip is a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Army. Uh, we're suffering some tough times when it comes to military recruitment. He says uh, right now, fiscal year, about three months to go, uh, two months ago, we're about 40% of where we should be. Uh, we're at 40% recruitment in our military. Um, it, with all the technology, you know, speaking of technology, do you think it's time, Van, that maybe we um, full throttle uh, invest so that we create robot soldiers, robot dog soldiers, robot soldiers. Like, wh why do we need human beings on the field when we could have robots fighting on our behalf? Well, guess what? They got some robot dog soldiers. Out <laughs> yes, there, but... I saw some of those. Yeah, it's kind <laughs> of scary. Got some. <laughs> but no, you, you still got to, one thing we've learned, you still got to have that American grunt on the ground to win the war, to finish the job. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, you can do a, a you know if we do, I mean the 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 Army Medical Corps did a great job with the what we call uh, um, uh, patient extraction robots where they could, you know if if you got a wounded soldier on the yeah, field the robot yeah. could go out there and get him out and, and, and like that but we got to have that soldier and we can do this and uh, one of the concerns I've got now further compounds a problem in the last year and a half eleven percent of the people. We've had a, a, a decrease in 11% of confidence in our military. I think the way we got out of Afghanistan uh, uh, contributed to that. that so it's a variety of factors. It's like the perfect storm, but we got to get back to what the basics. The purpose of the military is, is, is to win wars, not be part of social you know, engineering, to win wars. And, 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 and when we get back to the basics of what the military is about, um, uh, I, I think, and, and, and we um, uh, do things... Uh, to start teaching American history in our schools again and where kids have pride once again to be an American, we'll overcome this. Van Hip, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Army. My guest, we're talking about military recruitment. The job market is just crazy white hot right now, Van. Companies, they're screaming, begging for people to show up. They're raising salaries all over the place. It's like, why join the military when you can join corporate America, join, you know, just get a job, make a lot of money, get good benefits. I'm thinking, you know, you were saying early, think out of the box. Well, the slow, you know, plotting, the, the, the slow movement, the slow change that happens at the Pentagon, we probably need to raise benefits and salaries in the military to try to keep up with the market. Oh, absolutely. And take a look at um, no, no, you're so right. The, you know, the labor force. Look at small businesses today. The difficult time they're having recruiting people to fill the you know the positions they need to keep the businesses afloat. So, so, so the military is is, is also having to deal with that same uh, problem that the business community is having to face. Uh, and, but see, and they change. The, they change faster, the Van. They in, in in the private sector, they can say, oh, we're in, instead of paying fifteen bucks, we're not paying twenty five. And providing 401ks, yep. where the Pentagon, they're much slower. Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a toilsome uh, change uh, to, you know, yeah. the benefits that they can provide. they got to move quicker. No, they are doing, I've seen last week or so, that, um, you know, there are, there are going to be some more incentive bonuses and things like that. But, okay. yeah, it's, it's, it's time to move. It's time to be creative. To, to be creative. Look, 
when Ronald Reagan became president, he inherited a similar situation with the mm. military. I went back and, and, and studied this, and he had high inflation and problems with the economy, but he also had uh, a, a military that had been decimated. People didn't have confidence in it, and uh, uh, and they had recruiting problems, and they had and they were taken what we call Category Fours, which is the lowest uh, scores on these aptitude tests. When Reagan left office, we didn't even take them anymore, and now we're taking them again. So uh, uh, you know, we, you know, we can uh, you know we can learn a lot, I think, by how Reagan uh, addressed this same problem. I'm hoping that a new wave of pride in a couple of years with a change in administration, a change in leadership, maybe maybe that will help recruitment. But that's still about two years away. Change the culture. Again. If we quit apologizing for America, I think that will help a lot. Amen. All right. Van, thank you again for your contribution. Former Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Army, Van Hip. This is the Sergio Show. Getting your kids to exercise is a challenge. I should know. Getting myself to exercise is a challenge. That's probably why they're following me. Well, that ain't doing. I'm not going to do it either. Dr. Pretty Jane, uh, my guest right now. Okay, Doc. How much exercise do, do our kids need? Let's talk about preteens and then kids in their teens. How much do they need in order to stay healthy, according to some of the surveys and, and studies out there? Uh, so there are several studies out there regarding exercise. Definitely, you know, the latest study shows that people can do 30 minutes of moderate exercise four to six times a week. The latest study out there, however, shows that even 10 minutes of high interval intensity training or even just highly intense exercise five days a week really reaps the same benefits. And along with that, they said just exercise alone is not enough. Diet is equally important. So I would say, you know, going back to both exercise and diet, 10 minutes of high intensity or 30 to 45 minutes of moderate, mild to moderate intensity exercise every day or at least for five days a week is really important. It's the bridge of summer vacation that's the biggest challenge. Because I'm thinking once kids get back to school, Doc, they're going up and down stairs between classes all day long. They're running to class all day long. And sometimes, you know, sometimes they actually exercise in their PE classes. They're burning the calories that they need to burn on a daily basis when they are in school. That's correct. However, exercise in my mind is not like walking from one class to another. Exercise, when I talk about exercise, it's really like dedicated because that's when you get your heart rate up, right? When you when you dedicate yourself to 15 minutes of intense exercise or 10 minutes of intense exercise, you get your heart rate up, you sustain an elevated heart rate for a few minutes and that is what, <coughs> excuse me, and that is what reaps cardiovascular benefits. What is the number? 135, 136, 140, what is elevated heart rate uh, in general? So, it, Oh, any heart rate above 100 is really elevated, hmm. but for exercise pur purposes, it's a formula where you take your age, which is what we call the maximal heart rate achieved during exercise, and that's 220 minus your uh, 220 minus your age, and then 80% of that is really what you should be aiming for. Okay, 220 minus the age, 80% of that, boom, that's the heart rate you should be kicking in 10 to 15 minutes daily, you said, right? Well, you can't stay at that heart rate for 10 to 15 minutes, but even periods of one minute or two minutes of that heart rate uh, hmm. intermittently is really good. Okay, so, so maybe achieving that heart rate two or three times over a 10-minute span is really good. So. Oh, okay. So you're slowly working your way up to that number, that whatever that magic number is. 
let's say on the treadmill or on a, a stepping machine or something like that. Work your way towards exactly. that. Eighty percent. Eighty percent of two two twenty minus your age. All right. And what does that do to your body when, when you hit that? What, what's what's happening on the insides that makes things better? So it's making your heart stronger because now to maintain that that heart rate, the heart has to work faster. So little by little, it's almost like if you were to think that you're going to you know build your biceps, right? You'd be lifting weights every day to build your muscle. It's really what's that's what you're doing to your heart muscle. You're making it exercise uh, at a rapid rate and you're making it contract at a rapid rate, and that's what is really make, building your heart muscle up. Before you do this exercise or immediately after, is there something you should eat or drink to optimize the effort? So staying well hydrated is of utmost importance. Yeah. So making sure that you're always well hydrated. I am not a huge fan of all the chemicals that these youngsters are drinking nowadays, including my sons, with all the protein shakes and the artificial you know, nutrients that they're putting into their bodies, thinking that it's healthy. Uh, I want to say, for me, like anything that is eaten closest to the ground is the healthiest, right? Staying very well hydrated, to me, is really important. When yeah. you exercise so yeah. much, sometimes you need to think about putting back the electrolytes that you lose in your sweat, such as sodium and whatever you can do. So like even sometimes adding a little bit of sea salt to your water and just drinking that it replenishes the sodium. What is a little bit? A pinch or what? What is Define a little bit. Uh, the size of a pea or, okay. or what? Uh, a size of a pea, maybe a half a teaspoon in uh, you know in, an, in a 10-ounce glass of water, in a 12-ounce glass of one. water. Yeah. And even if you have that once a day, it's good because it replenishes the electrolytes. Something that I love to drink is also just squeezing some lemon yes. and putting a little bit of salt in it. And then you oh, drink it and one. it's like a nice drink. And you don't feel, you know, otherwise sometimes salty water makes me gag. So for me, like I squeeze <laughs> lemon in it, put a little bit of salt and it's it's awesome. Yeah, you're probably going to slap me for the, what I'm going to say right now. Topo Chico, the, the fizzy water. I love that with lemon or lime and a little bit of salt but yeah probably all that all that fizzy stuff isn't good for me but anyway hey oh my god i love those sparkling waters yeah those are really good uh, doc it's a pleasure meeting you thank you you be i know she's up in new york <laughs> they don't like the heat wave up there up in new york you you stay cool stay yeah, hydrated definitely doc. don't <laughs> you take care okay thank you dr pretty so jane joining Good us night. this is the sergio show You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids are running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. A few days back, we talked about a company in Japan providing these nap boxes that were designed for their staff to nap, standing up, nap, standing up, while they work long hours at their company in Japan. So standing up, supporting their head, their rear, and knees so that they don't fall over. 
an expert in sleep disorders, Dr. Hal Stewart. Welcome back to the program. So what do you think of that idea, Dr. Hal? And it's kind of strange that they, they're supporting these people standing up, but why not lean just a little bit? I, I can't imagine how that would be comfortable or even effective in any way. Well, there's so many things that we can talk about when we just talk about sleep here, but let's just let's talk about this. I think probably the most, uh, a couple of reasons they do this, that takes up less room if they're vertical. <laughs> That's uh, the true. More, the more you lean them back, it it's takes Japan more room, after all. so they can yeah. probably put, put, put more in. Um, it also is something that kind of a, a, a benefit or a shows goodwill, you know, for the company to do that for their employees. But, you know, that, it's kind of like giving somebody, a, if they're that exhausted and they're working them that hard, it's kind of like, uh, you know, feeding someone junk food all week and then uh, every now and then giving them an apple because you're going to make them uh, healthier by giving them one apple. You know, really, these companies should concentrate on maybe working them less and they'll be more productive at work if they're actually getting sleep at home. But for a, from a standpoint of, uh, you know, if you do have sleep apnea, you're probably going to be a little bit less severe if you're, if you're standing up than if you're lying down. So uh, you probably get a better nap. Uh, but you don't want to nap for more than about 15 or 20 minutes anyway. So these yeah. are very short short-lived naps yeah those uh, and again going back to that s- specific example from japan the company's white-collar workers they're putting in a lot of hours and um this reminded me because they said these folks work excruciatingly long hours that was the quote well that's same thing right. same thing can be said of interns at hospitals for example or even doctors they work super uh, nurses 12 maybe in an emergency 16 hours and, and these folks have lives literally in their hands uh, th- that's that type of work right. schedule this that's not obviously for everyone but obviously some people can pull it off yeah you know it takes a certain kind of person to do that like you, you said about the hospital i mean these people are so passionate about what they do um you know when you're in the white collar world and you're working uh a lot of these people work in cubicles or they work you know in little small offices um they they get you know, in the, in the Japanese, they work very hard. And so I can see why the company is doing everything they can to make them a little bit more productive. But, but again, you know, you can't make up sleep. So, uh, you know, and how many times a day are they allowed to go in there and nap? Uh, you might have some people that are uh, maybe going in there more than others, and that could create some risks as well. But overall, you know, getting a little nap here or there on occasion, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're having to do it every day because you're exhausted, then um, it's going to catch up with you eventually. You kind of answered one of my questions. When you work 16 plus, maybe in an emergency 24 hours, is eight hours really enough to recover from the lack of sleep? Because I'm, I, I mean, do you empty whatever is coursing through your veins and forcing you to sleep do you over eight hours do you empty enough of that to keep you functional keep you healthy well if they're working 16 hours they're not gonna you know get off work and go home and go to sleep immediately you know we they have to uh, family time or whatever so if they're working 16 hours they're not getting they may if they're lucky are getting six hours sleep probably more like four so that's just that's not a good um, uh, uh, that's not a good 
system to be in. Yeah. It's going to catch up with you. And uh, studies have shown, uh, I can I can pull them up um, for maybe another day, but that if the worker productivity, if workers are using good sleep hygiene and getting seven to eight hours of sleep per night, their their productivity increases exponentially um, with the amount of sleep they get. So uh, it's not always good to drop people into the ground working them hard. They're just going to lose productivity. And also, you know, you think about these nap stations. Yeah. When you need to take a nap, do you are you going full speed and then all of a sudden you go, oh, I need to take a nap. I'm going to take a nap right now. No, you you have symptoms for 45 minutes, an hour, two hours. So your you're start slowing down, then you take this nap, and then maybe you've got a burst of energy. But you're really, you know, when you by the time you know you need a nap, you've already, uh, you know, gone through those phases of lower productivity. So True. to me, yeah. um, I think I think it's good the company is doing this. Uh, I think it's you know shows some goodwill on their part. But they're you know it, it's just it's kind of like uh, hey, give them some food because we got to get them back out on the in, 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 on the in the sweatshop. You know these aren't sweatshops; they're high collar people, but white collar people, you know, workers. But they're still being overworked. They're working that many hours a day. If you need more than one fifteen minute nap in the middle of the day. Uh, is there something wrong with your sleep environment at night? Maybe you need a cooler, darker, uh, you know, white noise type yeah. of place. You right? These, if these companies would bring in a sleep expert and go over sleep hygiene with the with the uh, with the employees, there, you know, there are simple things that you can do at home that really do increase your productivity. Yeah. Dark. Keep the room uh, around sixty-eight degrees. That's Ooh. the ideal temperature. <laughs> Bring out the 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 uh, the thick, uh, really thick blankets. Uh, sixty-eight degrees and dark. Yeah, that's ideal for sleep. Thank you, Doctor Hal. Appreciate your insight. Sleep expert, Doctor Hal Stewart. This is the Sergio Show. your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. For what's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. From Headstorm, Rob Kelly is a, a supply chain pro. He's looking at the economy and different businesses and how they're being affected by missing ingredients in, in their business formula. It could be it could be employees, and we know the situation when it comes to employment, people just leaving, coming back, leaving, coming, all the job openings, but also it's just the raw materials that some businesses need. On the restaurant side, Rob, what do you see that's negatively affecting restaurants right now, and what's the prospect near future that all this could be remedied? Yeah, good morning. Thank you for having me on. You bet. There's really two things that we're seeing right now. One uh, is on the ingredient front, as you just mentioned. Um, specifically, you know, there's been a, a drought uh, in the western half of the United States. It's affected parts of Texas as well. 
And so you see shortages of wheat. Um, we've seen shortages of chili peppers, not only in the southwest U.S., but in northern Mexico as well. So um, that creates shortages in some products like salsas. Um, sriracha sauce um, has been an issue, uh, mm. shortages there. Um, also, um, shortages in the container um, uh, aspect of the restaurants. So things like to-go orders, uh, bowls, cups, um, aluminum. There's a shortage of aluminum right now in the United States from a supply chain perspective. And so that's uh, trickling down uh, to restaurants as well. So th- th- those are two specific things that we're seeing right now. Man, as long as we still get those chicken breasts, and the marbled ribeye, I'll be happy. Okay, I'll take. I'll bring my own container <laughs> to take my <laughs> leftovers yeah, exactly. home. Yeah, but <laughs> now I will say there there has been some talk of turkey shortage. I haven't I haven't seen that nationwide or heard that nationwide, but I'm kind of hearing anecdotally um, that in some places. And then we know with uh, with again with the drought. Um, you may see uh, selling cattle, a lot of cattle, which yeah. would be good in the short term. I heard that you the know, Cheaper prices on your ribeyes and other uh, meat products. Um, but long term, that could mean yeah, a Dana. spike yeah. in beef costs at yeah. Ford. My buddy Dana Lash, she, she was uh, reviewing an article a few days back on how the drought and putting ranchers in, in a pinch. And, and yeah, just go ahead and just sell off, sell off. Uh, that might help lower the cost of, I'm guessing, well, that might help lower the cost of some of, as I said, some of the delicious fat, uh, those delicious fatty steaks here pretty soon. Well, at least I, I hope. Either that or, as Dana was joking, <laughs> get, uh, you know, buy a cow <laughs> for a pet. <laughs> Just go buy go buy a steer <laughs> and that be, be, be your new pet. Uh, Rob Kelly from Headstorm, my guest, we're talking about supply chain issues, specific in, in restaurant business. Uh, what's the scuttle? But when do they finally turn things around? 2023 or, you know, what do they say in, in the restaurant industry? Yeah, I think in the restaurant industry, it, it comes down to um, some of the things that we're seeing internationally, like uh, the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Um, that's that's affecting a lot of these world uh, the commodity prices. Um, so we need to see some, hopefully, some improvements there. Uh, the supply chains, as far as uh, like international supply chains coming inbound into the United States, I think those are improving um we still got a ways to go i think uh by first quarter 2023 uh we'll see um significant improvement and things kind of unwinding so i don't know i i think we've still got some challenges in the next few months but i think once we get past christmas uh things should start to improve uh hopefully right and when it comes to ingredients and and supplies uh, the one issue that i have no idea when then that's going to turn around it's so bizarre i'm scratch, scratching my head the the employment situation, the help wanted uh, posters everywhere at restaurants and many of these small businesses. Uh, I'm thinking if they could, many of these places would just go to uh, what's the name of that robot? Flippy, Flippy the robot, the burger flipper, and maybe you can get some robots to dispense drinks and and you know provide orders at, at tables. Uh, what's going on on the employment side, and do you see that being repaired anytime soon? You know, honestly, I, I don't. I, I think the labor shortage um, has caused companies to uh, be forced to pay more money and to upskill people. And so as a result, I think it's kind of trickled down from, you know, high-tech, high-complex com- jobs 
to to the restaurant industry, and now it's it's got the problem of there's no one left. Um, I, I've been reading reports on the average uh, wages now for restaurant workers is eclipsing some white collar jobs. Um, yes. Isn't that crazy? So uh, yeah. I, I think uh, we're going to continue to see that, and and those those higher costs are, will be passed on to the customers uh, that that uh, you know in the form of higher bills when they go to restaurants. I tell you what, pal. Um, as long as Chili's is paying more than this gig, um, tell me where to sign up. Tell me that I can get one of those, you know, on a daily basis, get one of those um, molten little chocolatey cakes with the ice cream and the chocolate shell on top, free daily. I can, I'll go work at Chili's, man. I'll go serve tables <laughs> for, yeah. for a lot of money. You, you and me both. Yeah. You and me both on that one. <laughs> Thank you, pal. From Headstorm Supply Chain Pro, Rob Kelly. This is the Sergio Show. With prices so high for everything from fuel and stuff that we buy at the store, one of the questions being thrown around in the business world is consumer demand. And when will that be swatted away as a result of all the expensive, more expensive stuff that we, in many cases, we we have to, we must pay for? From Sensibility, Executive Director is Roy Paul. Let's start with Sensibility. Uh, tell folks more about the the financial literacy workshops that you guys are involved with, Roy. Yeah, for some 18 years now, Sensibility has been around to provide free financial literacy education for teenagers um, who are really dealing with some of the critical life milestones uh, that involve money, uh, whether it's getting their first jobs, going off to college, etc. Uh, we provide basic financial literacy education so that they can make better financial decisions throughout the course of their lives. Man, we can't get enough of that at grade school and in high no. school. We have um, the majority, and it's easy to say, the majority of the American public, American workers, are all financially illiterate. It's 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 amazing how little we know. <laughs> we are you know the breadbasket of the planet. We're the leaders in capitalism, and yet our people, our workers, know so little about the market opportunities that exist for them and disciplines for saving and saving for the future. All dependent on, uh, sadly, on the government, Social Security, all that. We've we've been enslaved by that. Allowed ourselves to be enslaved by that. Okay, so at, at what point, uh, since we see, for example, fuel prices, uh, in part, in part, plummeting as demand is being swatted away. Just uh, people buying less gas, obviously, we're producing a little more, but definitely buying less, and we see the price going down. Um, is there any evidence that demand might be waning at, you know, for the stuff that we need to buy at stores, where we might see prices come down soon at the stores as well? Yeah, uh, I think, you know, unfortunately, we're in a tight spot, but I, I, I do think uh, that as people continue to be more mindful uh, of the things that are happening, not just globally, but uh, in the United States relative to their spending and, and different market trends, we will see um, that things will start to taper off a bit. But I always encourage people at this stage, you know, we have a society where even if we don't have six months worth of savings, um, we are out there spending willy-nilly, right? Yeah. We're living paycheck to paycheck. And unfortunately, uh, unless you are living on a massive surplus, you need to live your life as if you were unemployed today. Uh, and that means not just taking a deeper dive on your personal financial situation holistically. What are you bringing in? What are you spending? 
Uh, where are there rooms that you can uh, mitigate some of your circumstances financially? Uh, but also uh, how you can do better uh, with a, a, a balance sheet that starts off with zero and you have to justify every single expense. You'd be amazed at the things you can cut out yeah. when you realize that you're spending X amount of money on this and X amount of money on that. Then you add it up and you go, wow, this is a couple hundred bucks. It's a few hundred dollars. And you can make a huge difference with that, even if it's just saving for a rainy day, if you were to become unemployed. A lot of people at the beginning of this pandemic didn't see the economic crisis happening, but if they were prepared, they would have been in a better situation. So what we can try to do is make small steps to make a big impact in the future. Six in 10, over six in 10 Americans living paycheck to paycheck. That was another little tidbit in the business cycle and business news today. It is so time-consuming to budget, though, and you know we're big fans of. I know I am Dave Ramsey, and I love his, for example, mm. you know, spend cash, spend cash, don't get rid of your credit card, spend, you know, buy everything in cash, save up for <laughs> all that stuff. But it is like you, you were talking about going back to what you're spending. That is so time-consuming, and I've done it. Believe me, I went to Cash Budget uh, a couple years back, and it it takes a long, long time. Is there a faster way? Is there a software? Is there a program? They can help you speed up, the, and, and so that way you can monitor uh, the distribution of all the dollars and cents in, in your bank account. Yeah, there are many apps that you can use, uh, and you don't need a financial advisor. You know, I'm a big fan of paper, pen, and calculator, right? Uh, figure out what it is in a very sort of rudimentary kind of way. Uh, I'm, I'm into no thrills, no frills. Uh, you can invest like the best of them if, if that's, uh, you know, something that you're able to do. But at the very least, uh, and for the very low amounts of money, you can do it yourself. Uh, you know, this is not some sort of a get-rich-quick scheme. Yep. It's about making sure that you understand what you're bringing in and what you're bringing out. Yes, so sir. you can download any app. Many of them are free. They're all probably just as good as the other. Uh, but I always say start a very basic Pull out some pieces of paper, yeah, get a pen, paper and, and calculator. calculator there we go. Roy, thank you. Uh, look him up. Uh, look for them online. Senseability.org. Roy Paul. This is the Sergio Show. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news. On News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have a multiple In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Some accusing the White House of playing musical chairs with the English language. Recession? No recession? What is? What's going on? We just know that for two consecutive reporting periods, the economy is shrinking in our nation. But there's some conflicting numbers, including. What many of the past will look at, which be the job market, relatively speaking to previous reports, it's crazy strong or potentially crazy strong. We don't know what to make of it in this post-COVID economy. Chris Petrie is a workplace culture pro, 
Okay, pal, so you got back in May, okay, there's a lag here, back in May, four, 4 million people, again, quit, almost 3% of the workforce, 2.5% of the workforce, quit, maybe took on another job. Still el- over 11 million job openings in this country. What do you make of those numbers? Yeah, I think it's telling a story that perhaps it's not necessarily that um, people are uh, leaving for just better pay. I think people might be leaving for other reasons, and most of that could be around the workplace culture that they are trying to get away from. Hmm, okay. Uh, despite higher salaries, I hear. Uh, I was talking yeah, about this I, with a friend. They're raising salaries everywhere. That's that's inflation. That's never going to go down ever again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I know. We know that economics doesn't always reverse back to what it used to be. So. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting, and I'll be honest, like we saw the same in our own workplace where we had a very toxic environment, so much so that we wrote a book about it. Um, and we realized that it was we couldn't blame market factors for people leaving us um, at the end of the day. It really was the way that we treated our teams as leaders. Despite the fact that it seems millions of people in the workforce are jumping job to job to job, because of all these openings right now, that's not working against them. That's another bizarre reality that we're in. Usually in the past, oh, I see there you've been job hopping. No, next. Right now, some of these companies <laughs> yeah. are desperate to take anyone on. Yeah. No, I think the it's attitudes and preferences are shifting across employment on both sides of the table, right? right. And I think when it comes to job seekers – they are really looking at what's best for them. And that doesn't mean just pay anymore. That means flexibility options. That means how I'm going to be treated. That means the team that I'm going to work on and what opportunities I'm going to have beyond the one that I'm interviewing for. And so all of those factors are, are requiring a shift. The message for businesses and managers who are seeing way too much turnover. Turnover is expensive. Onboarding new people, training them, all that stuff is expensive. The learning curve is expensive. Any business or manager yeah. seeing a, a big turnover, that's that to me is probably um, a wake-up call that they need to pay attention yeah. to and examine the culture in their business to see how they can better retain people. What would you say to those type of managers? Yeah, I would say that um, if you are not getting any feedback and you're not hearing people talk about the way that they are being treated and or treating each other, then chances are you might be part of the problem. Um, and that doesn't mean that you <laughs> need to quit yourself. It just means that there might be an opportunity for you and your peers in terms of leaders to really look at how you all are working, especially during high stress or deadline driven environments or times and see what does our behavior turn into when we are under pressure? What do, how do we actually talk to each other when we are you know, under the gun to get something delivered and then work from there? Because chances are there might be opportunities to improve the way that we behave inside of our own walls. I'm thinking part of that feedback would be the exit interview. Like, <laughs> right? Hear well, from that person, this 20th person that left the same job now over the past 24 <laughs> months. Uh, so at some point, you need to start hearing, are they any good? Are people generally honest when it comes to that you know, exit feedback? Uh, no. Typically, people are not going to be honest um, simply because many people don't want to burn a bridge or um, they don't want to um, sort of undermine maybe potential of future opportunities or references. And so... 
exit interviews might not be where you're getting that honest, you know, feedback. It could be um, other avenues or channels, and it could be actually in the break room. It could be um, over text where people are back channeling with each other. But I think if you really want to know, you know, the truth of the litmus test is if you ask for, you know, honest feedback about yourself, are you getting a thumbs up? Or are people really sharing where you are and what you are doing? Nobody's perfect, right? See, I would hide a microphone in the break room and in the restroom. Oh, oh sorry, HR, trigger. Yeah, legal problems. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I, I, I wouldn't do that. Uh, Chris Petrie, no. uh, Workplace Culture Pro, my guest. So you said that you and colleagues wrote a book, uh, and I think you guys uh, fleshed out how toxic the work environment was. You guys guys, guys so pissed off you wrote something about it uh love <laughs> as a business strategy so explain to me what happened to, to you and your colleagues yeah like our ceo uh bless his heart he actually realized that he was the biggest culprit behind our almost going bankrupt um he was very greedy and very selfish he self-admitted that in the book um and when he woke up one day and realized that that was all of his doing he decided to change himself personally and it led to us as leaders uh, with them changing ourselves and the way that we show up in the workplace. And um, this book is just a testament and a chronicle of that journey. Um, but hopefully it is a an aid for those who are looking to try and transform their own workplaces um, without paying for, you know, hefty consultants to come in and do it. Um, you know, we're looking at like small, small changes, you know, looking at yourself, looking at your teams, how you guys relate to each other or not. Um, but also how you guys start making decisions where people are taken into consideration. I know I've got one manager out there driving around town working for a living right now asking, how, yeah. how do I know, how can I find out where we stand with our employees, what they think of our business culture, how do we improve things? So what would you suggest to them? Uh, conduct some type of anonymous survey? Do they need to just fork over the cash and hire an industry consultant? What's the, what's the easiest path to get that assessment? Yes, it'll depend on, of course, budgets and timelines. But of course, I always say, you know, if you want, start listening tours. That's a simple, easy way inside of your walls. And those are just small little focus groups you can set up or one-on-ones where you just ask, you know, honestly, hey, do you even like working here? Or would you recommend this place to a friend? Like, what would you change if you could? Are there pieces of yourself that you hide in order to show up at the workplace, right? Like asking those questions that get them talking um, is honestly one of the best ways to get some sort of insult, insight or pulse um, inside of how people are showing up. And then from there, you might want to get surveys and sort of consultants and outside help to help you figure out what the solution is. I would triangulate and quadrangulate. Uh, I, I start talking exactly. bad about. I, I would start talking <laughs> bad about one employee. See if I can get some trash out of the, of, of the other employee right in front of me. See if they go along with. Yeah. It. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. No, but yeah, but yeah it's. I, I'm sure they would prefer not to set us out thousands of dollars for for um, a consultant while they can do it in house and see if they can conduct some honest, yeah, honest and I, conversations. And I think if you can't get that honesty, because I know a lot of workplaces prefer harmony over honesty. We prefer honesty over harmony. Um, if you find that your workplace is more harmonious, then you will have to work harder to get that information. Um, but your attrition is going to tell, speak volumes to you, of course, whatever yeah. is happening underneath and, the surface. You know, I just think, um, and, I was going to say, I, I think people generally, I, I know it's an, it, for me and some of my, my colleagues, we true we, we appreciate when, when at least we believe it may not be the case, but at least we believe that our, our 
or boss or manager or CEO is listening to us and is in tune in frequency with us as far as what's going on uh, on the front lines of production. And, and by having those conversations on a regular basis, you might get there. You might get these people to open up and get a true assessment yeah. of what's taking place. Hey, Chris, appreciate meeting you. Uh, good talking to you. Uh, his book, Love as a Business Strategy. This is The Sergio Show.